This episode of Rudder Dead is sponsored by Novel Gazing, Book Riot's new literary fiction podcast. Novel Gazing is your destination for all things literary fiction, bringing you news from the world of fiction and recommendations for under-the-radar reads, works in translation, buzzy books, and more. Stay in the know, expand your TBR and your view of literary fiction, and, of course, have some laughs with hosts Mary Kay McBrayer and Louise Johnson. Novel Gazing is a bi-weekly show available wherever you get your podcasts, so go listen to an episode now. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 69, and we are recording on Tuesday, January 14th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Happy New Year. This is the first time we're talking since it became 2020. I know. I was just thinking that. Actually, this is the first time the first time we've we've recorded since before Christmas, which seems like an eon ago. Honestly, today I was like, I hope I remember how to podcast. <laughs> Because it's been about a month since, like, almost a month since we've recorded the last episode. Uh, so, yeah, I was, like, kind of concerned that I would be really rusty. <laughs> well, we will find out, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to hook people into the show, right? <laughs> All right. So you're on this you're on this ride with us. We'll, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, um, <laughs> I will have our first sponsor for the episode, who is Flatiron Books. And they are the publishers of The Lost Man by Jane Harper. Uh, this is an amazing thriller from New York Times bestselling author Jane Harper. Uh, in this book, brothers Nathan and Bub meet for the first time in months at a remote fence line separating their cattle ranches in the outback. Their third brother, Cameron, lies dead at their feet. They return to Cameron's ranch and to those left behind by his passing, his wife, his daughters, and his mother. Suspicion starts to take hold, and Nathan is forced to examine the secrets the family would rather, rather leave in the past, because if someone forced Cameron to his death, the isolation of the outback leaves few suspects. Uh, so I don't think anyone who is listening to this and has listened to previous episodes will be surprised to hear that uh, Katie and I are huge Jane Harper fans. So even if they weren't sponsoring this episode, I would tell you guys to read The Lost Man because it's a great book. Um, so if you haven't read Jane Harper before, I feel like The Lost Man is a really good starting place from her. And I believe that this book is now out in paperback. So it's a great time to pick this up and maybe start get on the Jane Harper train um, if you haven't already or if you've read her previous books. This one is also a standalone. So again, we're big fans of Jane Harper. We're big fans of this book. And we thank Flatiron Books for sponsoring this episode. And again, that's The Lost Man by Jane Harper. All right. Well, welcome to 2020, everyone. We're two weeks in and it feels like the year has been like the length of like three months. I don't know how that happened, but here we are. Anyway, welcome to 2020. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you are new to the show, welcome. If you are a longtime listener, welcome back. We are so delighted to have you with us again. Um, and for everyone who has continued to listen to us over these last two and a half years now, um, Holy cow, two and a half years. <laughs> I feel like I say that every every episode that we record now. Um, but anyway, we talk about everything uh, related to mysteries and suspense and true crime. Anything that falls under that umbrella is fair game. And we talk about just, just about a little bit of everything. So whether it's news adaptation or book adaptations, stuff that's happening in the news, um, whether it's a new subgenre that neither of us have explored, you know, we'll, we will talk about, like I said, just about anything. And this is the part in the show where we always put out a call to our listeners to get in touch with us if you have any ideas for things that you'd like us to talk about on the show. We get a lot of uh, episode ideas from the suggestions that you all have given us so far. So thank you very much for those. Those have been very helpful and uh for us when it comes to planning what we're going to talk about next. So if you have any any ideas, please feel free to shoot us an email or find us on social media. We'll have all of our contact information at the end of the show, but we always like to put put that call out at at the beginning so everyone can kind of kind of get their start thinking about something that uh that they might be interested to hear about. 
And with that, I will roll right on into our news segment. Um, I have what I am calling the Nicole Kidman section of the news this episode, um, because she's got a couple of adaptation updates. Um, The first one is that her production company is going to be adapting uh, Kimberly McCrate's upcoming domestic thriller, A Good Marriage, which I believe comes out in May of this year. Um, So there's really nothing beyond a... Uh, beyond an Instagram post um, about this, but I wanted to mention it because I really like Kimberly McCrae. The first book of hers that I read, and I'm pretty sure it was her debut, was um, Reconstructing Amelia, and it was so good. Oh my gosh, it is such it was such a good book. Super suspenseful, but it has a lot of heart, and it I loved it so much. Yeah, she's just, she's just really really good at writing domestic thrillers. Um, so I'm really excited for her upcoming book, and so I was excited to hear that there will hopefully be an adaptation in the works. Um, So uh, make sure to keep an eye out for that. And then uh, Nicole Kidman is going to be starring in um, the Hulu adaptation of Nine Perfect Strangers by Leanne Moriarty. And uh, she is also going to be starring with Melissa McCarthy, which I have not read the book, but I would not have automatically... uh, thought figured Melissa McCarthy to be someone who would star in an adaptation of a Leanne Moriarty novel, but there you are. Um, and I love Melissa McCarthy. I think she's hilarious. Um, I know Nine Perfect Strangers is not a hilarious book, but I do enjoy Melissa McCarthy. Um, so we'll have a link to that article um, with all the rest of the updates for that adaptation. Um, and I think that wraps up the Nicole Kidman segment. <laughs> It's too bad that we don't have enough Nicole Kidman news relevant to us to have that as a regular segment. But who knows, maybe in the future. (laughs) All right, uh, with more adaptation related news, um, there was a recent announcement that Stone Village Television has acquired the rights to Just Watch Me, which is the new thriller novel and the first in a new series uh, from Jess Lindsay, who wrote the series Dexter. And so uh, this new book series uh, fo- is following this character named Riley Wolf, who is a thief who targets the like what greedy one percenters. And so this book is kind of like a just it's described as a cat and mouse game between this thief and an FBI agent, as well as having this sort of like Robin Hood type twist to it. Uh and the main character is meant to be sort of like this anti-hero that you root for, kind of like in Dexter. So if you were someone who really enjoyed Dexter, uh, this might be a series that you could be uh, interested in picking up. And also you might want to pick it up before uh, the TV show or however, you know, miniseries or whatever it is uh, ends up coming out. Because if it's handled as well as Dexter, it's probably going to be pretty good. The other sort of like adaptation related news is that there is a new trailer for the Woman in the Window adaptation. Um, this one is starring Amy Adams. And I actually ended up watching this trailer kind of on accident or not on accident, but just because <laughs> I went to the movies this weekend and it was one of the trailers before I watched the movie. So I saw the trailer and I've read the book and the trailer is kind of like almost exactly what you would expect after reading the book. Uh, it does a very good job of kind of teasing the t- twist. I'm using twist with like air quotes because it's not really a twist, but like it kind of teases a little bit farther into the book than you might um, expect, or at least that I expected. But I think that it makes for a good trailer. So if you are someone who has excited for that movie, then the trailer is out now for you to watch. So you can check out the link in the show notes if you are interested in just kind of seeing how they end up handling that. And then the other piece of news that we have today is kind of an interesting one to me. It's a small little piece of news, but I just thought it was, you know, intriguing. Lee Child has been chosen as one of the judges for the 2020 Booker Prize, which I found to be really unexpected. Apparently, this was reported earlier as like a potential thing. And I find it just fascinating because the Booker Prize is such a like literary prize that having someone like Lee Child, who is very much a genre writer as part of it, could potentially make the nominees or the short long list and short list for this year a little bit 
different than has been in previous years. Um, I'm someone who I always like pay attention to the Booker Prize in terms of just like seeing who they decide to nominate every year because I just like paying attention to those things and seeing what other books books or what other people think of different books that are coming out and also it could potentially like talk about a book that I haven't heard of before that I would be interested in reading. Generally speaking, the Booker Prize winners are usually books that I don't enjoy, so I'd never really am someone who like runs out and grabs the Booker Prize winner all the time, but the Booker Prize is huge internationally or at least in Europe and the UK. Um and I will say that I do want to read Girl Woman Other which was the co-winner from last year, which we won't get into the whole co-winner situation <laughs> that happened last year. Uh, but anyways, if you are a fan of Lee Child or you're someone who pays attention to the booker like I do, um, you might be intrigued to know that Lee Child is now on the judging committee. All right. So before we jump into the heart of the episode, I do have our second sponsor, which is Grace is Gone by Emily Elger, which is put out by Harper Paperbacks. And uh, the book follows Meg and her daughter, Grace, and they are the most beloved family in their small town, the linchpin that holds their tight-knit English community together. So when Meg is found brutally murdered and her daughter missing, the members of their community are rocked by the tragedy. Her daughter, Grace, has been sick for years, and all Meg has done is look after her. And now Meg is dead, Grace is gone, and their close friends and neighbors fear for the worst. Um, so again, this sounds like a really interesting psychological suspense novel with a little bit of a twist. Like, I've, I don't know of many other books where the focus is on not like the family, what happens to the family when someone is murdered or when someone disappears, but what happens to the whole town, um, which is an interesting, uh, which is a really interesting dynamic. Um, but again, so if you like, um, if you, if you like psychological suspense, it sounds like, or if you like your mysteries set in those ever present tight knit English communities, uh, definitely pick up Grace is Gone, uh, which is by Emily Elger, put out by Harper Paperbacks. And we thank them very much for sponsoring the show. Okay, so for our first episode back in the new year, Katie and I thought it would be really fun to talk about the Dublin Murders TV show. So if you aren't aware, Dublin Murders was this miniseries adaptation of the first two books by Tana French, In the Woods and The Likeness, which is called part of the Dublin Murder Squad series. And so this show was adapted by the BBC and aired over in the UK, I want to say in like October. And then it was eventually aired in the US in like November, December. And so Katie and I are obviously huge ton of French fans. If you've been listening to this podcast for more than, you know, a single episode. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's usually at least one ton of French reference in every other episode, so <laughs> I'm sure no one here is shocked by this news right now. Um, so obviously, like, we both were planning on watching this because we were both very intrigued. The trailer looked really good for it and everything like that. And so since the episodes ended in December, we thought, like, we would watch all of the episodes as they aired, and then we would come together to talk about it. So if you are someone who hasn't read In the Woods and The Likeness yet and don't want to be spoiled. We'll be talking about the show like kind of generally giving our first impressions, but we are going to get into more spoilery topics as the episode goes on and we'll try to give a warning for that as well. So that way you can kind of like duck out if you need to or fast forward to the next section if you want to um, in case you don't want to be spoiled. But like if you've watched or if you've read the books and you you'll basically know all the stuff that we're talking about. I don't think there isn't really like significant differences, although there are differences yeah. between the, there are. In, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into the differences. So if you're someone who like hasn't watched the series yet and doesn't want to know what the do- those differences are, just a warning that we are going to be talking about that stuff as well. Um. Okay, well, why don't you go ahead and give me your first impressions? I'm I'm curious to hear what you thought about it, because I haven't really talked to you about it since we agreed that we were going to do this episode. Yeah, Kitty and I really didn't talk about this at all. So both of our impressions are going to be fresh for each other. So I liked it. I didn't love it. And there's a couple of different reasons for that. But I think one of them is mainly just because I didn't like the way that they smushed. Although I I could see how it was working, kind of. I didn't like the mixing of the two stories into one series. Because... I, for me personally, the likeness is one of my favorites, if not my favorite 
book in the series. And so I would have just loved more of that versus uh, combining the two together. Although it does work out pretty well, because again, if you've read In the Woods and the Likeness, um, Cassie is in both of the books. So it like kind of makes sense, but I didn't love that choice. Um, again, but I should also say that I haven't read these books in a number of years. And Katie, I know that you reread In the Woods. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so like, you probably have like, a better sense of like, what was changing, what wasn't as opposed to me who just remembers like, the general plot points of the story. But like, for me, it's been years since I've read it. And so there are a lot of details where I was watching this show going, I don't remember this happening. But it could just be like, I don't remember it happening. And I didn't know if it was that or if it was an actual change from the show. Yeah, I read the uh, In the Woods within the last couple of months. Um, so that's still pretty fresh in my mind. It's been longer since I've read The Likeness, um, probably within the last few years. I think I listened to it on audio a few years ago. Um, and But that's one that I was meaning to, I was hoping to get a chance to reread it before um, we aired this, uh, before we recorded this episode, but that didn't happen. Um but yeah, I think I well first off, I had pretty much the same reaction that you did. Overall, I liked it. Um I think it started out stronger in the beginning. I wasn't a huge fan of how it ended um or how they kind of wrapped stuff up. I do, I agree. I don't think that they should have um combined the two stories into one eight episode season. Um I mean, the In the Woods is a pretty straightforward procedural. Um, and so that kind of, I mean, that, that can, that can easily take up, you know, that could easily take up like the eight episode miniseries. Um, the likeness is not at all a traditional procedural. And one of the things that I really liked about the likeness so much is the way that it builds up the the characters' relationships with each other. Um, if you haven't read the likeness, a quick non-spoilery um, synopsis is that um, Cassie is called onto the scene of a murder of a woman who is her her doppelganger looks exactly like her, and um, as she quickly comes to learn, has this woman had been going around using a name that Cassie had used when she had worked under in undercover previously on um on a previous uh, undercover job. And so she's like, why does this woman who basically has my face, why is she using my undercover name? Who is she? What's going on? Um and so she takes the place of this woman who had been living in this old house with uh with a small group of graduate students who are all very very close. And so she kind of inserts herself into their lives, pretending to be this woman who went by the name of Lexi. And uh, so the, the story is that, oh, no, Lexi actually wasn't dead. She she was rushed to the hospital, and now she's made a full recovery, or as close to a full recovery as she can, and now she she's back living with her friends. Um, but she's doing this to try and find out what happened to Lexi. Um and the the heart of that story is really about the relationships of the people who live in the house and how Cassie interacts with them and like that really fine tightrope that she has to walk in between getting to know them and playing the part that she has without letting her guard down and it's just this it's so complex and it's just so mag magnificently done and you just can't give that type of story, the attention it deserves in the span of just a few episodes. Because that that part of the story didn't even really get going to like episode, what, four, maybe? I mean, it was it was at least halfway through. So I wasn't a fan of that. And there and there are some more specific things that I will we will not get into just yet, because those are definitely of the more spoilery kind. Um, I will say for the most part, I thought the casting was on point. Agreed. I, like, I loved Cassie. I thought she was the perfect blend of, like, like she's really smart, really perceptive, super snarky, um, but you can tell that sh there's something 
there, that there's something kind of broken in her and she plays it so well. And Rob was the character of Rob in, in the woods. The more I read that book, the more I really don't like him. And his care, the, the actor, um, I, I think it's Kiernan or Killian or Killian Scott, Killian Scott. And he plays Rob to be insufferable and kind of a, you know, kind of a manly man who won't feel his feelings kind of thing. So it ends up damaging himself and everyone else around him. Like he plays that really well. And it's like, you really dislike him, but there's still just that little bit that you, like, you don't hate him outright. You just really think he's making a bunch of bad decisions and is coping with them terribly. Um, but I thought they nailed for, the, for those two, especially, I thought they, the casting and the acting was excellent. Yeah, I was, I think that's the most compelling part of the series is the actors in the show. Um, all of the casting I think thought was absolutely perfect, but especially, like you said, for Rob and Cassie, um, they both did such a great job of sort of walking that line of being very hard shelled in certain scenes and being completely like broken in others. Uh, there was one specific scene in the episode where Cassie is like practicing mannerisms to turn into Lexi or this person who took on her Lexi persona that I was just like in love with because you could see how skilled that actress is because she was able to like put on all of these different parts immediately and obviously like this is her job so you would think she would be that good at that but just seeing someone actually do all of those back and forth between being all of these different people was really fascinating to see but also like watching over the course of the show even uh Killian being Rob and there are certain scenes where like you just think he's so great and other scenes where you just want to punch him in the face and other <laughs> scenes where you're just like you're a disgusting human being and like the fact that he can do all of those as that entire range is like always that's so impressive to me um so yeah i completely agree the casting is literally it's probably the strongest part of this show yeah and i also i i wasn't sure at first but the actor who plays frank mackey um he, I mean, he's probably the most recurring character other, other than like, um, what's the, what's the pathologist's name? Cooper? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but in terms of main characters, uh, Frank Mackey comes up in, in a few different books in, in various, to various degrees, but he's one of the most fascinating characters in the whole series for me. And I thought when I, when I first, saw his saw his face i was like that is not at all who i was picturing what i was picturing in my head i was picturing someone more conventionally good looking yeah um this this guy is not so much but he's smart like you can tell that he's smart he's cunning and he is like he's smooth-tongued enough to get what he wants and at first you're kind of like, oh, okay, you know, he's persuasive and stuff. And then you're kind of like, oh no, he's actually like kind of reckless. Like he, and the way he interacts with the other characters, like they, they're like, he's, all the other detectives know that Frank has a reputation for being reckless with the people in his, on his squad in undercover. Um, they know that he, you know, takes lots of chances with other people's lives. And so he has this reputation and he, and he really, exudes that in the show it's it's really well done and and he's he's very he's very quick-witted he's very he's smart snarky he plays really well with cassie um but yeah i thought i thought he was an excellent um that ended up being a really excellent pick okay so now do you want to go into more spoilery discussions yes. about the show <laughs> yes <laughs> Okay, so this is our warning for everyone. If you haven't read the books or you don't want to know any more about the show, fast forward from this point on. <laughs> okay, so they did the likeness that none of that happened in the likeness. Yeah. <laughs> what the heck? Okay, so we're we're spoiler in here. Okay, in the show, the um, what's in. Now I'm blanking on the the main character the main character who lives in the house who owns the house from the likeness. Daniel Daniel 
I keep coming up with Andrew. I'm like, no, that's one of my friends. <laughs> no, Daniel. And he does not poison Cassie because he figures out that she is not who she says she is. He does not take her to the basement and then basically hold her hostage because she was going to turn his other friends away from him. That doesn't happen. <laughs> okay, so that was the point where I was watching the show and I was like, I don't think this is how everyone finds out. <laughs> and I don't even think they even totally like I'm trying to remember like up to the end she was playing the ro- she was playing the role like I'm remembering like like the like the big kind of confrontation and she was still playing that role I think. To, um like she's not like exposed in front of the whole group. And also the this the whole thing about they're they're kind of making a big deal about or not big deal but they kept mentioning oh Daniel killed someone previously did you know Daniel killed someone previously and then she's like why did you kill someone and he's like because he didn't want to be my friend and I'm like no that is not the point of this book yeah it just feels like again like I said the likeness is my favorite or at least like top three out of the entire Dublin Murder Squad series. And I feel like they just did that book a complete disservice by just Mm -hmm. smushing it in together with this one, because there's like no development at all with this storyline, with this murder, with these characters, with their like weird relationship that they all have with each other. And it just felt like it went by so fast. And it's so interesting to me, because also while I was watching the show, basically what happened is like, you're going along and the first like four episodes are basically the entirety of in the woods related mm-hmm. stuff in the beginning. And then there's the switch where Rob and Cassie sleep with each other. And then, Oh, I got some thoughts about that too. Continue. <laughs> where Rob and Cassie sleep with each other. And then that, and then a riff happens because Cassie is still dating the other police officer whose name I cannot remember. Sam. Thank you. Um, and so they were still together at that time. And so it in causes- the show, in, in the, the show, show not yes. in the book. Yes. In the show. This is all of what I'm saying is what happened in the show. Yes. Um, so yeah, they were still together in the show. They, she sleeps with Rob. It causes problems. And then she goes, and then she gets called out for this case, other case that is the likeness. And it felt like, because they were splitting the time between the in the woods mystery and the likeness mystery, the likeness mystery is basically treated like this subplot. Yeah, like a less than mystery because they just needed some reason for Cassie to not be around and to cause problems and for to allow like Rob to spiral farther down because he doesn't have his partner with him anymore. Um, and that's not really it. Like the the likeness has such good stuff that just never could have been developed like in my opinion in the woods as a mystery series like if they had done these as two separate things like these could have been like two really good six episode like i don't think either show really needs eight episodes but i think if you had given them both six episodes each it would have been great um and you could have like done the thing that Tana French does where you see the characters from the previous series like kind of overlap into other series. But instead by smushing them together, the likeness is done such a disservice. Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally agree. And and then you kind of like because you focus on the likeness part of the story for a couple of episodes, you kind of lose the thread a little bit with what's going on with the main investigation with in the woods. And for the most part, I think they they did i mean there are a couple of like random characters or small things that kind of popped up in the investigation for in the woods that were not in the book and they they don't really have much like they they don't really have much of an out or have an effect on the outcome um but overall that one is treated pretty pretty close to the book um yeah the likeness really deviates and i don't know why and like I, I was telling Blaine because he watched about half of it, and then he, and then he kind of stopped watching after a couple of episodes. Um, he's read the books, but um, yeah, he was just, I, he just wasn't as into the show. And and I said, if this were a crime show, it would be great. 
But because it's a ton of French crime show, I'm kind of disappointed in yeah. some of the choices they made. Also, before we run out of time, I like one of the first things that I remember going, okay, I am going to have to ma- make a note to talk about this on the podcast. So Rob and Cassie sleep together. That happens in the book. Absolutely. That happens in the book. In the book, if you haven't read it or if it's been a while, this happens after Rob decides that he's going to go into the woods by himself to try and trigger something in his memory so he can figure out what happened to him in those woods when he was a kid and his best friends went missing. And so he just, you know, grabs a sleeping bag, grabs some coffee, and just kind of wanders into these woods by himself, and he's going to plan to spend the night. Well, he ends up having kind of like a nervous breakdown, and he ends up calling Cassie to come get him. And he does, and he stays at her place, which is very normal. Um, But they end up sleeping together because he is feeling very very vulnerable and broken and fragile and all these things. And then when he wakes up in the morning, he goes, oops, that was a mistake. And then this causes the rift between them. In the show, it happens because Cassie is feeling vulnerable, like reliving um, the trauma from her past where her parents died in a car accident. And then Rob kind of takes advantage of that and they end up sleeping together. And I don't like the fact that it's changed in the show to where they like this action was kind of brought on by Cassie's trauma. Like, no, 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 no. This is Rob's deal. This is his baggage, and I don't like that they shifted it so that it kind of became about Cassie's baggage. I mean, she's got plenty of her own stuff to deal with. I'm not, I mean, there's, that. that is absolutely, you know, that is 100% true. But that thing that causes that, that irreparable rift in their relationship, that's not because of Cassie. That's because of Rob, because Rob doesn't know how to handle and, and manage his own feelings. And I've said my part. <laughs> I have a question for you uh, really quickly. Again, we're running low on time, so we can't keep going on this. But <laughs> the very, very end of the show, Rob basically and Cassie have this like talk about, you know, like mm-hmm. a sort of reconciliation sort of talk. And then Cassie leaves and then Rob says that he loves Cassie. Nope. Doesn't yeah, okay. I was like, none of that happened in the book, right? <laughs> nope. 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 No, I, 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 I'm like, oh, God. Stop it. Yeah. I had the same reaction to that scene. And I was like... It felt cheap. Yeah, it felt so cheap to me. And I was so disappointed that they did that. I was like, that was not un- that was not necessary at all. And also, it makes... I hate... I have this problem with movies and television shows and stuff like that, making these, like, really troubled men making these grand statements of love while, like, not dealing with their actual trauma and making them seem like they're the victims in the situation and it's like no you were a terrible person they need to leave you until you get your life together (laughs) oh yeah and like yeah and like right after like when she thinks that everything is still normal like he says some stuff to her that i was like oh no he didn't he did not just say that to cassie yeah so okay but yes so i think overall verdict was good but because we're we're hand they're trying to handle the majestic works of ton of French, there's a lot that can be improved on. And so what we were trying to say is everyone needs to go read the books. <laughs> That's what the the conclusion of every every almost every episode of Ritter Ten is. Just go read ton of French. <laughs> yeah, whether or not we, the show was about her all. And in conclusion, if you haven't read ton of French by now, please do so. Okay. Well, I guess with that, I guess we'll jump into some some new releases. Or, um, or before we do that, I should say if any of you, if any of you lovely listeners have watched the show and um, have any thoughts or opinions about how what you thought the show did really well, what it didn't do well, what your thoughts were, please let us know. Um, it's <laughs> It's like a ton of French has a growing fan base, but I still feel like it's a little, it's a, it's still niche enough to where <laughs> there aren't a ton of people that like, there wasn't really anyone I could talk to at work about this, where I, I couldn't just go and go, I can't believe what they just did. So <laughs> if you have, if you have thoughts about, about the, the Dublin murder show, please let us know. We would, we would love to, we would love to discuss this further. Agreed. All right. Now we'll jump into new releases. 
So New Year brings a ton of awesome new books. The holiday publishing slump is over, so uh, make sure to prepare your your reading lists. Um, The first one that I want to talk about is The Missing American by Quay Quarty, which is out today, if today is the 14th. The day we're recording, yes, it is the 14th. Um, and Rincy, I believe you, I know this is the first book in a series, but you have read a book by Quay Quarty before, right? Yes, I have. I really okay. enjoyed it too. Okay. Um, cause I, cause I know I haven't read anything by this author, but I know, I know you had. So, um, I, I just wanted to double check on that. But anyway, this is the first book in a new series and it follows private investigator Emma John. Um, who, uh, her first missing persons case takes her into a world of email scams and fetish priests in Ghana, the world's internet capital. Um, so Emma is, uh, rising, or she's rising through the Accra police ranks like her father, her late father did before her. But then all of that kind of comes tumbling down around her. So she's 26 and she's unsure what's going to become of her career. Um, but then she gets an interview with a private detective agency that takes on cases of missing people, theft, infidelity, but it's not quite what she had imagined for her future, but right now it's her best option. And in the meantime, Gordon Tilson is a middle-aged widower in D.C. who has found solace in an online community after his wife's passing. And through the support group, he's even met a young widow from Ghana that he's really come to care about. And when she tells him that her sister gets into a car accident, he sends her thousands of dollars to cover the hospital bill, which his son Derek is horrified by. And then Gordon decides to surprise um, this woman by paying her a visit and maybe not surprisingly, he disappears. So fearing for his father's life, Derek follows him to Ghana, where he and Emma team up and find themselves in a world of scams, fetish priests, those willing to kill to protect their secrets. Um, Honestly, this book had me when the darkest depths of email scams and fetish priests in Ghana. I'm like, well, sold. Um, this, I mean, it's a, it's a private, it's a PI novel, which is a very common theme in mysteries, but this sounds like it just takes it in a completely new direction. Um, uh, it just sounds fascinating. I have an advanced copy of this book on my desk at work and I keep meaning to bring it home and I keep forgetting. Um, but again, that is The Missing American by Quay Quarty and that is is out now by the time you are listening to this. And then another book that is out uh, today and so is available for you to pick up once once this episode airs is The Tenant by Katrine Engberg. Um, this one is a, uh, this is a work in translation. I unfortunately did not um, find the name of the translator for this book. Um, but it's a, it's a debut and it introduces two police detectives um, trying to stop a killer bent, uh, hell bent on revenge. Um, a young woman is discovered brutally murdered in her own apartment with an intricate pattern of lines carved into her face. And so the police detectives, um, Hepe and Annette, um, are assigned to the case. Um, and quickly they establish a link between the victim, um, whose name was uh, Julie Stender, and her landlady, who is uh, who they describe as being a bit too fond of drink and the host of raucous dinner parties with her artist friends. She's a budding novelist. And when Julie turns up as a murder victim in uh, the landlady's still unfinished mystery novel she's writing, the link between fiction and real life grows both more urgent and more dangerous. But her role in uh, the landlady's role in this twisted scenario is not quite as clear as it first seemed. Is she the culprit or is she just another victim and is this actually much more twisted and complicated than it appears um so this is i i mean i'm always down for good psychological suspense twistier the better um and this one sounds really interesting this one um it was published in uh denmark and it's it was it's a bestseller overseas and the uh reviewers have said that this book is really original uh fast paced it's going to keep you on the edge of your seat um again that is the tenant by Katrine Engberg and that is um and that is out now if you're interested in picking up a copy 
And then the uh, last two books really quickly come out next week. Uh, the first one is The Janes by Louisa Luna. And Rincy, did you read the first book in this series, Two Girls Down? I did. And I'm not even joking. I like scrolled through the doc really quick and I saw that this you had this book and I gasped. I was muted so you couldn't hear me, but I gasped because <laughs> I didn't realize she had the next book coming out. <laughs> Well, hey, because I I remembered the author's name and I thought I'm like, I thought I remembered Brincy talking about how she really liked this book or like the first book, which was Two Girls Down. Um, so, well, hey, second book is out. So, woohoo. Um, so if you have not read Two Girls Down, I'm guessing you probably would want to read that one first. But if you have read it, the follow up is here. Um, and the the this story takes place. Um, on the outskirts of San Diego, where the bodies of two young women are discovered. Um, they are Jane Doe's, no names, no IDs, no family looking for them. Um, the police and the FBI are afraid of the possibility of a human trafficking ring, and so they reach out to private investigator Alice Vega um, for help in finding out who the Janes were um, and finding and finding others who are missing. So, um, so yeah, this is, it's a, you know, it's a missing person story, but I, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember it was a long time ago. I think you, you said that you really, you, you really liked the characters in the first book. Yeah. Like Alice Vega and Max Kaplan are really great sort of opposites attract like type of PIs. Um, and a pro tip is to cast uh the actor of that plays keith mars and ronica mars as max kaplan and just pretend like it's keith mars and it makes it so much more enjoyable (laughs) (laughs) all right well there you go um so if you are um if if you have read two girls down make sure to pick up the janes by louisa luna and if you have not read two girls down like me make sure to pick that one up and then go right on to the janes um but that is out on january 21st and then um Okay, I guess this is, it came out on January 28th. I'll have to double check the publication date, but it's a true crime book. Um, the Third Rainbow Girl, The Long Life of a Double Murder in Appalachia by Emma Copley Eisenberg. And, um, this follow, this looks at the aftermath of the murder of two young women in, um, who were killed in 1980 in Pocahontas County, West Virginia. Um, they were murdered in an isolated clearing, uh, while hitchhiking to a festival known as the Rainbow Gathering, but they never arrived. Um, they traveled with a third woman who, and who lived. Um, and for 13 years, no one was prosecuted for what they called the Rainbow Murders. But, um, so there was a lot of suspicion that was cast on, uh, different local residents that were depicted as poor, dangerous, backwards. Um, and in 1993, a local farmer was convicted only to be released when a known serial killer and diagnosed schizophrenic, uh, ended up claiming responsibility. Um, and so as time went on, truth kind of seemed to slip away. Uh, investigation itself caused its own traumas, turning neighbor against neighbor, uh, confirming a fear of the violence of outsiders. And so the author spent years living in this area and reinvestigating the murders. And so she uh, uses this book to show how this act of violence has kind of has really affected people for generations and kind of shaped their fears, their futures, the stories they tell about themselves in the community. Um, so if you like your true crime with a healthy dose of like, social sciences like the first book that comes to mind that combines the two of those really skillfully is american fire um where they talk where the author talks about um a series of arsons that um were committed in kind of that same area not west virginia but i think on the virginia on the virginia coast but uses that as an example or as a way to kind of look at the community at large and how it represents this particular demographic in america so um so this one sounds really fascinating so that is the third rainbow girl the long life of a double murder in appalachia by emma copley eisenberg and then real quickly, um, I just had two honorable mentions that, again, Rincey, you mentioned both of these in the last episode about favorite, about most anticipated breeds. Um, the Majesties by Tiffany Sow and, um, The Hand on the Wall by Maureen Johnson. Um, those actually come out in two weeks on January 28th, but I wanted to throw those out there. 
All right. Uh, so to wrap things up, just to talk really quickly about some of the things that we've been reading lately. Um, I went on a little bit of a reading spree during our little holiday break because we had like time off from Book Riot and obviously time off from work and all this stuff. And so I read a number of books. And so the two that I will mention here are Long Bright River by Liz Moore, which I believe I also talked about in my most anticipated books uh, episode. And then Ninja Daughter by Tori Eldridge. Long Bright River by Liz Moore was the book that I chose to be like the first book I started in 2020, because I had a feeling it would be a great book to start the year off with. And I was correct. <laughs> it is a very good book. I highly, 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 highly recommend it. Um, it follows these two sisters. You're following it all from the perspective of one of the sisters named Mickey. She is a police officer now as an adult, and her sister, Casey, um, she is addicted to drugs, and Mickey actually is a beat cop in the neighborhood where Casey lives. And so it talk, it goes flashes back and forth in time between their, their past growing up and basically how they got to where they are now and present day where, um, Mickey discovers a dead body and a, Originally, they think it's an overdose, but then they realize that this woman has been strangled and there are actually a number of women who are drug addicts in this neighborhood who have been found dead. And so they think someone is out there targeting these women. And then Casey also goes missing. And so Mickey doesn't know if her sister is dead or not. And so she kind of becomes really frantic trying to find her. Um, and so it's mostly like a family saga, but obviously there is this very strong mystery through line going through it as well. It's so good. Liz Moore is an amazing writer. She does a great job of tackling this like complicated family dynamic along with this mystery. It takes place in this Philadelphia neighborhood where there actually is like an opioid crisis and epidemic happening right now. And so she talks about that along with it as well. Um, it's heartbreaking and beautiful. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's probably good. I know it's like the second week of the year, but it's probably going to be one of my favorite books of the year. Um, the other book that I read was The Ninja Daughter by Tori Eldridge, which I put on hold at the library during one of the episodes of Red or Dead. I'm pretty sure like Katie was doing new releases and she mentioned this book and I was like, I'm just going to put this on hold now. <laughs> um, so it like finally came in and I got to read it over my like the little Christmas break. And it was such a fun read. Like this is a book that's all plot. So just know that going into it. But I think it's a great book that to bring on like a vacation or something like that, or when you're just in the mood for something super fast paced. Uh, the main character is Lily Wong, and she is of Chinese and Norwegian descent. And she has like become skilled in like martial arts and considers herself basically like a modern day ninja. And she uses her martial arts skills and her abilities in order to help out different women who are in like domestic violence situations or like part of sex trafficking and things like that. And she in the over the course of this book, she ends up getting wrapped up in this larger case dealing with like the Ukrainian mob and things like that. Um, it's a really fun book. And it also talks about the fact that the main character is biracial, like she reflects on how each of those pieces of her heritage um, impact the choices that she makes. Um, she also talks about how um, her sister died when she was a little bit younger, I think like college days or something like that. And that is part of the reason why she does the work that she does. And in this first book, she's kind of like coming to grips with the choices that she's made in life. And also like how to like talk to her family about the things that she's doing, because like she like, dro I think she dropped out of college after her sister died and things like that. And so opening up to her family is not really an option just yet, because they're all still mourning her death and stuff like that. But this is a really fun book. And I recommend it if you just want something like really fast paced, a little bit different. It's like blurbed as being kind of like Kill Bill meets Killing Eve, which is actually a pretty solid comp. So if that sounds up your alley, The Ninja Daughter by Tori Eldridge is a good book to pick up. All right. And uh, oh, what are you starting real quick? I see another book on your list. Yes, sorry, I am starting the Patel Net I hope that's how you pronounce it, The Patel Nut Tree Mystery by Ovidia Yu. Um, and this is the uh, follow-up to the Frangipani Tree Mystery series, um, which I read either last year or the year before, and I really, really adored. This is a historical mystery taking place in 1930 Singapore. 
All right. So yeah, I unfortunately have not gotten off to a great start. I've kind of limped into January 2020 within terms of my reading. But um, I did finish um, The Body Lies by Joe Baker, which came out last year. Um, a trigger warning for this book, it focuses heavily on uh, sexual assault. Um, so just the, I mean, the the synopsis on the back makes that pretty clear um but just in case you were wondering about this book it does talk it does um the plot really focuses on that um really quickly the main character is um she and her family moved to this isolated english um little town um a few years after she was um assaulted by this random person on the street and she's really struggled to kind of move past that so she's hoping this will be a fresh new start she's teaching creative writing at this local college and um she one of the students in her class um is this younger guy i mean he's in his 20s somewhere um and his stories are compelling. He says he only writes the truth. He only writes about what happens, but it's billed as fiction. Um, and so she's kind of like drawn to him, but then, uh, one night, uh, or, but then she realizes that he is in fact writing about her, basically from the perspective of someone who is like, watching her from, you know, from outside her house. And the boundary, the lines between fact and fiction get really blurred and really scary. Um, And it's a book, like, it's it talks a lot about, like, what it's like to be a woman and to feel like everything that you do is being monitored or is being watched by someone else or that every every part of you actually belongs to someone else. Like, you don't actually have anything for yourself. It's a really good book. It's a difficult read at times. There are points where I was reading and going like, ooh, I'm feeling this a little too much right now. Um, But it was really, really excellent. Um, That's The Body Lies by Joe Baker. Um, I will shortly be starting Darling Rose Gold by Stephanie Robel. That was my number one uh, most anticipated read for the year. Uh, psychological thriller about Munchausen by proxy syndrome. And I was approved for the digital advanced copy, so I will be getting that onto my iPad and reading that pretty soon. Um, and then I also have an audio version of If You Tell by Greg Olson. Um, we have had several episodes sponsored by this book, which is true crime about the sisters who uh, grew up with a horrifying mother who abused them and tortured them, basically, and how they how they ultimately were able to rise above that and become really strong women. So um, that it's, I've, I'm going to have to figure out a, a way to consume this because the audiobook is due in three days. I haven't started it yet. And there are like, and there are a few people on hold for it. So we'll have to figure something out, but I will definitely be reading that one soon. Um, and again, those books were Darling Rose Golds by Stephanie Robel and If You Tell by Greg Olson. All right. So that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen and head to the Red or Dead section of the page. You can find all of the links to the news stories that we talked about, as well as links to all of the books that we mentioned here in this episode as well. If you enjoy the podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out and helps other people discover us. And if you want to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions, you can find us at red or dead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincy A. And I'm on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. <laughs>